This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined as always by George Smith. George, how are you doing? Not bad, mate. Not bad. Finished work for a couple of weeks. World Cup's in full fever. What's not to be happy about? Yeah, plenty to, to get excited about. And uh, I'm looking forward to today's episode because obviously with the World Cup break, uh, in full swing, no championship action to break down as we normally would. So we're going to have a few different episodes coming up for you over the World Cup break, starting with our teams of the season so far. Always brings up a few uh, interesting choices, usually not by me. I'm going to put that early dig in now. Uh, so well, Lukas, when did you pick Lukas Jukovic? A couple of seasons ago. Got to be now. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to ripping George for the next hour for his very weird and wonderful team selections. And it always causes plenty of debate, so make sure you, you tweet us at ChampChatPod24. Let us know what your teams would be, who you agree with, who if you disagree with us, and what your starting 11s would be. And make sure you follow us on Instagram on that same handle as well, at ChampChatPod24. A massive thank you to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take car payments with no contract or monthly fees, visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all sum-up devices, so make sure you go and check them out. And as I say, on today's podcast, we'll be breaking down our championship team of the season so far. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. So, George, I always enjoy doing these sort of pods. Um, a couple of seasons usually, one at, and we've got a nice point to break it in uh, this year, of course, and then we'll do one at the end of the season, no doubt. Who have you got as your goalkeeper? Well, goalkeeper, I debated between two or three, but in the end, I managed to nail it down and I've gone for Ben Wilson of Coventry City. Been really impressed by him. You know, his percentage stats for clean sheets speaks volume 62.5% clean sheet rate this season, 10 clean sheets in 16 games, you know. It's a remarkable return for him. And he's, you know, he's played a formidable role in the run that Coventry have had in recent weeks. So, you know, I think he's more than worthy of the spot. Obviously, he, you know, Simon Moore was the number one last season. He's got the nod this time around and, you know, he's fully justified Mark Robbins' decision. He's been absolutely superb. And as I say, 10 clean sheets in 16. That's seen Coventry equal their clean sheet tally for the whole of last season already. So I think he's a worthy, you know, a worthy guy to get in this team. And, you know, as the season progresses, it's going to be interesting to see how many more clean sheets he can rack up. You know, if he's got 10 in 16, if Coventry continue in a similar vein after the break, could he double that tally? I mean... It's going to be difficult, there's no doubt about that, but he'd certainly like to, you know, he'd like to get close to 20, considering he's got 10 already. So, Ben Wilson, for me, fully justified. But I think an honourable mention, you know, you've got you've got to mention Freddie Woodman. Been really, really good at Preston so far. Most clean sheets in the league. Pippin Wilson by one. Wes Fodringham, too, has been very good as well. So, quite a few candidates for that one. But for me, Ben Wilson justifies his place. With the goalkeeper position, I always find it hard. How are you breaking down? What's your criteria? Are you looking at, the teams they have got the best defensive record? Are you looking at the perceived best goalkeepers in the league? Because normally they play for the best teams, which, you know, face the fewer shots, have the better defences, generally speaking. So do you look at the bottom of the league, potentially for the goalkeepers that are most busy, but perhaps not as good goalkeepers? It, it depends what your criteria is. For me, I've looked at some underlying data about goals prevented, which for anyone that's not into data analytics a little bit is basically the, the equivalent of XG for goalkeepers. How many shots would you expect them to have conceded for the quality of chances that have gone in and how many have they saved? 
So the goalkeeper that's got the biggest difference generally shows that they should have conceded goals. And I think you can attribute more um, more praise to, to those goalkeepers with those high numbers because there's so much that goes into a good defence in terms of the defence in front of you, uh, even the midfield and what system you're playing. Are you playing a back five? All these things you've got to consider. So for me, I looked at that data and the person that actually came out on top was Thomas Kaminsky, who obviously I've seen play every single game this season with Blackburn Rovers. And for, for me, Kaminsky, he's been brilliant in the last two months. That's that's a fact. And it doesn't surprise me that his goal prevented numbers are really high because he's been crucial to so many of Blackburn's wins in terms of big saves at big moments. The Birmingham City game was a complete standout for me where Birmingham had four or five really, really good opportunities to get to get themselves, well, in front and level at the time. And he pulls off big saves in big moments. And, and those saves are so important to the momentum of a football match as well. You can look at the goals at the top end of the pitch, which have obviously been important, but he has been just as good. He did have a few wobbles earlier in the season. I have to say there was two or three where the free kick against Sheffield United where Norwood puts in a brilliant, it's a brilliant strike into the top corner, but he goes the wrong way. It takes, you know, the we always look at goalkeepers if it goes in on their side and usually they've taken a step to their left or their right, whichever way it's gone in, and he did do that. There was one at Reading that I thought he should have saved at his near post, where it did take a deflection, and Lewis Baker's shot against Stoke from long range, which I thought he could have done better. Ever since the end of August, really, or mid-September, he hasn't put a foot wrong. He produced one of the best saves I've ever seen live against Middlesbrough from Tuba Akpon from a yard, which he had no right to save. And generally speaking, he's been fantastic for Blackburn, and he's been a big reason why Every time they've scored first, they've gone ahead and they haven't conceded equalising goals. They have conceded chances for equalising goals. It's not like the defence is... It's been very good, but it's not like they've not given up any chances. But generally, he has been solid, he's been there, and he's been relied upon when his team have needed him. And, and I think when you look at the metrics, as I say, with the goals prevented, he comes out on top. So for me, I've gone for Thomas Kaminsky in goal, perhaps slightly biased by the fact I've seen him the most, but I think with those numbers behind him, I think it's a fair shout. Yeah, I would agree with that. He's had a good season so far and, you know, he's produced some heroic stops. But possibly, you know, some of the saves of the season so far, I would argue, along with probably Lee Nichols at Huddersfield, he's produced some heroics at times. Well, Kaminsky, I mean, you alluded there to the Middlesbrough save. That was just outstanding. That was, you know, that was world-class goalkeeping. So, I think you've fully got a point with that, going with Kaminsky. He's, he's had a solid start to the season. So, I think really, I think both him, Ben Wilson, you know, I think they're they're worthy of getting into both of our teams. Yeah, Ben Wilson was my other one that I was particularly thinking about. Um, I like Freddie Woodburn a lot as well. So uh, I think yeah, all would, those three would have been, been very would have good. Been, would have been the top three for me. Let's have your two fullbacks, please. Right back and left back. Right, right back. Quite a I'm difficult gonna... pool of people to pick from, I thought. Probably the one yeah. I struggled with most in terms of picking Especially a real standout the, on, in both positions. On the left side, I struggled. But here we go then. So right back, I've gone for Ethan Laird at QPR. Left back, I've gone for Hassan Kamara of Watford. Laird for me, me Laird is really, you know, he's adapted really, really well to the championship again. Obviously, last season had a good start at Swansea. The loan was cut short, went to Bournemouth in January, and it was it was a disaster for the lad. Obviously, injuries got in the way and hindered his progress there. But at QPR, you know, he slotted straight in. Michael Beale has, has sung the praise of him many, many times. I know the QPR fans have fallen in love with him quite quickly. I know their form's dropped off recently, but, you know, his, his form has been terrific since arriving from Man United on loan. 
and you know, I think he's so important to the way that they play, and it's enabling him to, you know, show the qualities and characteristics of a young fullback in this modern age. And the fact that QPR play with such a narrow forward line, there's such an onus on the on the fullbacks to get forward, and Ethan Lane on the right, Kenneth Powell on the left, have both been key to the way that QPR want to play. And for Laird, it's allowed him to get up and down the wing, chip in with a goal. Got, I think he's got two or three assists as well. And he's just really raised his game for me. He, you know, he suits the way that Michael Beale wants to play. Michael Beale obviously has got experience of working with young players. I think, you know, that's helped Ethan Laird a lot. And as I say, Michael Beale's really, you know, sung the praise of Laird quite a fair bit. I remember him saying recently that he was, he was just so grateful to Manchester United for letting them borrow him for the season and that he couldn't believe really that he wasn't in and around their first team squad. So there's certainly, you know, potential about Ethan Laird. I think he has got what it takes to play in the Premier League at some point in his career whether it be at Old Trafford or somewhere else. But, you know, he's had a really good start at QPR and he's so key to the way, as I say, that they play with them. Obviously, having a very narrow set of forwards, play don't play with much width at the top end of the pitch, which means the full-backs have got to get forward. So, I think Laird, you know, I think he's probably been certainly one of the best right-backs in the league so far this year. I don't think there's been a, a huge sample size to pick from to fill that position, to be fair. Just on... on Ethan Laird before you move on, because I've also got Ethan Laird at right back. So just to tie up him at right back, he, he was the standout choice for me as well. And like you say, with how narrow the QPR attack is generally with Chris Willock on one side, Elias Chair on the other, both played as number 10s last season. I think that it's so important to have some sort of whip, some sort of outlet for the central midfielders if they're under pressure that they can just spin it out to full back. And also I think he's answered a few question marks in my mind because he was so good at Swansea in a back five as a wing back where obviously the responsibilities are to get forward to produce quality in the final third rather than can he defend what what's he like when he's going to be tested against top quality opposition which if he wants to be a Premier League footballer he's going to have to prove playing in a back four particularly when he hasn't got a winger that's going to be right out there doubling up helping him when you know he's going to have a situation where he's 2v1 against him because QPR play with narrow forwards, then they're therefore not going to be, you know, hugging the touchline and backing him up. And I've not seen any game where I've looked at him and thought he's been really exposed there. So I think that that bodes really well for him. I think there's question marks about that side of his game on the Bournemouth loan that didn't go to plan last season. I think Scott Parker wasn't convinced about him in that way defensively. There's no doubt he was better offensively than a Jack Stacey or an Adam Smith. But I think defensively and the experience they've got clearly tipped it in in Parker's mind that they were a better choice but I think he's at the perfect club to help develop that side of his game as well I think Mick Beale's someone who loves working with young players as you said and, and for me I, I agree with you he's been the standout right back in the division this year yeah he's been exceptional I've been really impressed by him and you know I, I was encouraged by what I saw at Swansea and obviously it just got derailed this season didn't it with that Bournemouth move and it was such a shame because you know he was he was really onto something at Swansea and you thought Bournemouth it's a step up the chasing promotion he's got a chance here to Obviously, get a promotion on his CV. Obviously, he did get that, but he didn't exactly play much of a part in it. So, it was a shame for him. So, really pleased to see him thriving at QPR so far. And, you know, I think in the long run, I think he's got the uh, the ability to really serve him well. Absolutely. And your left back, Kamara? Yeah, Hassan Kamara for Watford. Again, I didn't think there was a, you know, a huge talent pool to pick from, if you like, for, for that position in terms of players that have been standouts in that position. I just think he's been so key for Watford so far, who... You know, we've experienced a bit of an up-and-down season so far, even though I think they're fourth in the table now. It's not exactly disastrous, obviously. I mean, the upheaval of a manager change, but Watford are used to that, so I don't really think it's probably impacted it that much. Um, you know, Kamara, he's, he's, 
you know, he's a player that likes to get forward. He's he's versatile. He's played on the right wing at times this season, which proves obviously how how much quality he's got in his locker. He's bagged a couple of assists, both of which did come from the left back position. And you know, under Billich, I think I've seen signs already that he's raising his game quite a fair bit. I thought he was brilliant in the win at Stoke in, in Billich's first game in charge. Got an assist that day, and you know. I think in a Watford team, obviously, with the way that they play, you've got to have real speed and ability to get forward. And that's exactly what Hassan Kamara's got. And, you know, he, he's proven himself as a player that's virtually never present. He's played, I think he started all but three so far this season. Uh, and moving forward, with the way Watford are obviously going to want to progress under Bilic, and I think really this current pause has probably come at a good time for them to allow Bilic to work with his players on the training ground and, you know, to get to know them a little bit better and try and put plans in place for the restart. And, I think it's fair to say that Kamara shouldn't be worried about losing his place in the team because he's been arguably one of Watford's best players. So, for me, Hassan Kamara, he bags that left-back spot and probably one of the easiest choices I had to make on this uh, on this eleven. Yeah, I think the fact that Ismail Assar's moved over to that left side as well and naturally will come inside, that, that just invites Kamara to get forward even yeah. more than he already was doing. I didn't go for Kamara and one of the reasons was he's played in a few different positions. He's played on the right too. And I just feel like I've gone for someone. I've just gone for someone at slightly different. Although I appreciate if if you said who is the best left back in the division, I probably would say Hassan Kamara. But he's played in a few different positions. Watford haven't been great defensively throughout the season. They've had some torrid performances. So I've gone for someone who I think is a little bit more integral to their team systems. Been playing in the same position or every game. And I've gone for Ryan Manning of Swansea City, who I think's been a real, real outlet for them down the left-hand side, playing that back three. It's really important that they've got a good attacking fullbacks. And I've always liked Ryan Manning. I was a bit surprised when he briefly played at left centre-back last season and it was Jake Bidwell playing at left wing-back. And the natural thought to me would be, well, swap those two over. But I think it was because Martin particularly wanted uh, Manning's ball-playing ability. He used to play central midfield when he first came through at Queen's Park Rangers. I remember seeing him on loan at Rotherham playing in that position. And he's turned himself into an all-energy all action left back, left wing back, which he has been for a few years now. And I think his quality in the final third is really good. I think nine times out of 10, you know you're going to get good delivery from him. And if you're a striker like uh, Michael Obafemi, like Joel Pirou, I think you know what you're going to get from Manning, particularly when he gets to that byline. And I just think it's important with how Swansea play that you've got people that can run beyond. Because if you're an all possession team and all you want to do is play to feet, it can be quite easy for the opposition to sit deep know that you you the you know all the dangerous plays in front of you and you've not really got anything to worry about whereas if you've got wing backs that can really run beyond stretch the play you know really hug the touchline as old traditional wingers almost i think it helps Swansea and it opens up more space in the center of the park as well for Grimes for Pirot in those pockets to create chances and i think he's been really good this season he's had a few exceptional games in particular that stand out and for me i've gone for Ryan Manning at left so, George, that's our fullbacks done. Let's move on to the centre of defence now. Who have you got in the heart of your back line? Well, one of them, you know, it was it was a certainty for me with the way he's adapted to life in England. It was Anel Hamahodzic for Sheffield United. I've been really, really impressed by this guy. And obviously, you know full well Blackburn wanted him prior to him checking in at Bramall Lane. And he's been, you know, it's been obvious to see why. He's been absolutely superb and... What I like about him is, you know, United have obviously done their homework on him. He, he suits their style so well for being a player that wants to carry the ball out from the back. He likes to go on runs with the ball. 
And I think the best thing about him is what a goal threat he's got. He's absolutely superb. Four goals already. And I think back to the first time that I watched a, a full Blades game this season, it was when they beat Sunderland 2-1 back in August. And it was it was arguably one of the one of the best championship games I've seen so far this season as a neutral. Really entertaining, a really good game. I remember actually messaging you saying how good it had been. You were at Reading that night, I think when Blackburn. That was and, not a good game. No, well, it, wasn't it was from a Reading perspective. It wasn't. Well, from it, not for you, but no. I mean, Amahodzic that evening he scored and he got an assist to create the second. I just looked at him. I thought they've got a real player on their hands here. He looks a real talent, and you know, Amahodzic. Obviously, Bosnian international being superb. Obviously, Paul Heckingbottom was desperate to get him in. And you can fully understand why. And I think what I like about him most is his qualities and his, his ability with the ball and his goal threat of enabling him to become a really big fan's favourite so quickly at Bramall Lane. And players, fans love players like that. They really do. You know, we're going to roll the sleeves up, fight for the badge and give absolutely everything. I think that's what Amahodzic does. He, he epitomises what Sheffield United as a club are about. So passionate. And obviously, you know, could play a very key role in what they're trying to achieve this season. So for him, he takes up one of the uh, two centre-back spots. Alongside him, I've gone for Jordan Story of Preston North End. Arguably one of the surprise players of the season for me. You know, obviously, you think back to last season, he was he was barely getting a kick at Deepdale. Farmed out on loan in January to join Sheffield Wednesday in League One for the rest of the season. Really impressed there. Wednesday fans, myself included, really wanted to game on a permanent basis. We're we really, really took to him. He was outstanding. And obviously, Preston have took him back and he's been absolutely key for them. So, obviously, the, the, the Hillsborough loan did him the world of good. And, you know, looking at some of the data about him this season, he's got more interceptions in the league than anyone else. He's got the fourth most aerial duels won in the league. And he's just so, so key to a back line that, you know, on the whole, has been really, really hard to break down. They've got more clean sheets in the league than anyone else. And he's played a key role in that. He's been, you know, he's been exceptional, to be fair. I think the fact that the way he's kind of turned his career around there, some obviously becomes so important for Ryan Lowe. And, you know, Preston fans now have noticed that they've they've spoken about him and basically said he's up there with the best centre-halves in the league this season, such is the turnaround that he's had. So I think for me, I think the story around it, hence the name, quite funny really, you know, um, no I think he's time. really, you know, no, not quite. I think, you know, he's kind of, I think he's almost transformed his career in a way, at Preston. You know, when he went out to, to Wednesday on loan, you kind of thought that could be it for him. It could be curtains at Deepdale. But, you know, he's gone back there this season. And my word, he's turned things around. He's been outstanding. So, for me, I think he's more than worthy of a spot in this team. So, he joins Ahmed Hodzic in the heart of my defence. I agree on Ahmed Hodzic. I've got him at centre-back as well. I think it shouldn't go under the radar how much Sheffield United paid for him. Sheffield United aren't a team that have been chucking money about since they got relegated from the Premier League. So, to lay out for over three million pounds to bring him in for a defender, for a defender, clearly shows what they thought of him. Paul Heckingbottom spoke in the medium several times about the fact they nearly got him in January last year, and that they've been scouting him for a while, and that's why he thinks he chose there rather than Blackburn, for example, and other clubs that were interested in him abroad. He's been fantastic, and I think one of the questions about Sheffield United's defence was: we all know, you know, it rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? In terms of Basham, Egan. O'Connell, although obviously O'Connell's not played for a few years now. How were they going to replace that? How is the succession planning? How do you get Chris Basham? How do you naturally fade him out and bring someone in? And how do you recruit someone for that role that's so specific as well? And they've they've done it to a T. They've absolutely nailed it. And he's been fantastic. He's got such mobility. He's got such quality technically. 
And I think he looks like a Premier League player. He looks like a player that's playing below his level, doesn't he? And I think he's got all the modern attributes to be really, really good at the top flight. I think he's got the mobility to play in the Premier League, definitely. He's also played at right wing back at times. He's also played on the left of the back three as well when they've had, obviously, injury issues with Jack Robinson and Reese Norrington-Davis, who's now out. So I think versatility as well comes into it. And he's a goal threat. And not just from set pieces, from open play. He can score goals. And I just think he's a really good player. You just you see someone and you're just like, he's a little bit too good for this level. And for me, I think he's the outstanding centre-back in the Championship. As, as I said, that, that first time that I saw him against Sunderland back in August, I, I watched him and I thought, this this kid looks special. He looks really, really good for a centre-back. He's got a lot of quality and he's just gone from strength to strength. And, you know, like you said, to have that ability to score goals as a centre-half, fair play to him. Looks really, really good signing. Alongside him, I've also gone for a Preston North End defender, but I've got Liam Lindsay at centre-back who's generally played in the centre of the back three. He's had a real renaissance this season as well under Ryan Lowe. Wasn't fancied previously. Um, had a bit of a difficult career, really, since he came up with Barnsley and obviously moved to Stoke. He's not the first player to struggle and, and not do very well at Stoke. Got the move to Preston after a loan spell. Wasn't really playing that regularly. It was generally Patrick Bauer playing in the middle of that center, uh, of that back three. But this season, he's been at, he's been a regular and he's been integral. And I think if you speak to any Preston North End fan, I've been obviously speaking and speak of, with my colleague George Hodgson, who covers Preston North End for Lanks Live. And he's he, he waxed lyrical about Liam Lindsay. You know, he's been quality. He's a really good reader of the game. I think the centre of a back three suits him because I think he's sort of in that John Stones mould a little bit more than like um, you know someone like Bauer who's a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more front foot defending. But I think the intelligence of Lindsay in that role, his ball playing ability as well, he's been outstanding. And Preston have got such a good defensive record and he's been a huge part of that along with the rest of the defence, of course. You've got to have a unit. John Story's been very good. Um, Freddie Woodman's been a big part of that. They're probably the three that stand out for me most in that Preston North End back line. But for me, I went for Liam Lindsay. And I think more so for the the story in terms of not really getting a kick, not really being fancied. And then suddenly, we always knew there was a player in there. He did so well at Barnsley. Stoke, he didn't really get a kick. A lot of players struggled at Stoke, let's be honest. And now he wasn't an automatic pick even when Preston signed him, but... He's clearly playing every single week. He's thriving. And he looks like someone that, that's only going to go from strength to strength. So Liam Lindsay is my other centre-back. So why don't you run me through your two central midfielders? Well, I've kind of gone for a, you know, a kind of box-to-box and advance number 10. So I've gone for Josh Brownhill of Burnley. Been really impressed by him. And then as my other one, I've gone for Ilias Chair, Queen's Park Rangers. I think Josh Brownhill, I think he fully fully deserves a place in this team. You know, for all of the new signings Burnley have made, he's been the one that's probably been, you know, one of their best players so far this season. Five goals, five assists. They're really encouraging numbers for a, for a player that isn't renowned as a, you know, as an out-and-out number 10 goal-scoring midfielder. He's a box-to-box type player. But he's caught me by surprise. He started the season really, really well. Obviously, his goal-scoring form tailed off towards the, you know, the end of the first part of the season. But, you know, overall, he's been exceptional and so key to the way that Vincent Company wants his team to play and dominate possession. So I think Brownhill, you know, obviously his goals and his stats help me, you know, put him in this team. But I think overall, he, his possession play is so key for the way Burnley want to dominate matches. And, you know, him, Josh Cullen in the middle, been really encouraging. So Brownhill, you know, I think he's been 
probably one of the surprise players in the division this season, to be fair. I really didn't expect him to, you know, hit numbers like he has, which is really encouraging to see. Excuse you. Excuse you. But no, I think Brownhill, you know, for, for the way company sets his team out to dominate games, dominate the ball, pass teams to death, it, he is really important. So he gets in my midfield too. Alongside him, Ilias Chair, you know, three goals, six assists already. Pretty decent numbers, even though, you know, he, his role is to create and make things happen. Obviously, he's QPR's architect in chief. He's, he's the man that, you know, makes things happen along with Chris Willock. But obviously, Willock's Injury record means that Chair, more often than not, is the main man who's got to pull the strings and, and dictate. But, um, you know, I, I really like Ilias Chair. And I think the fact that, it, that the, the biggest argument and defence that I can put to this is that if he'd not done enough, why would he currently be at the World Cup? He's made it to my, the World Cup my with argument Morocco. to you is Ilias Chair is not, not a central midfielder. He's played He's wide left. He is. He's played they wide don't, left all season. They don't season. even play wide. They well, don't no, wide. but I think I think your central midfield is very at risk of getting exposed in transition. Well, there's no holding midfielder it. there, is there? Well, this is a this one is a team played on paper, not yeah, on the grass. I don't think it would work on the pitch because I, well, I, I, we're not, that, we're not that midfield try. is getting emptied and quick. We're not going to trial it, so I don't care. Let's have your midfield too. Then is it got a little bit more robustness to it? It's got a little bit more balance. I've also gone for Josh Brownhill for many of the reasons that you've outlined. Correct, given correct he's choice. Been the most advanced of that Burnley midfield three. He is without doubt the more attacking of my two central midfielders, rather than playing a number ten in there. Um, he's been brilliant, hasn't he? And he's been superb. I think he is one of. I don't think there's abundance of obvious Premier League players in the Championship this season. I think you'd look to. Jay Rodriguez, potentially, although he's not done great in recent Premier League seasons. Ben Berrettin-Diaz. I think Ismail Assar, Jao Pedro. And I think Josh Brownhill falls into that category, definitely. I think he is definitely someone that, if I was a Premier League player, I would be maybe trying to test the resolve of Burnley in the in the January transfer window. And I, I thought he was someone that might go, along with Pope, Tarkowski, me, uh, Nathan Collins, in the summer. Because I, I do think he's got quality. I think you can play him in a lot of different ways. He's played generally in a four four two for Burnley, just as a you know as a box to box central midfielder, as you said. But this season, he's shown that he can go get forward, score goals. He's played as the most advanced of that midfield three with um, Jack Cork and Josh Cullen sitting deeper, and he's thrived. And as you say, he's not a number ten, but as an advanced number eight that that's got freedom to go and score goals. I think the composure in his finishing is excellent, and we saw a lot of that at Bristol City when he earned the move to Burnley. We saw less of it, obviously, in the Premier League because he played as a as a two-man midfield, didn't have as much licence to get forward. But I've been really impressed by him and I think he's been excellent. And alongside him, to give him some licence to, to go and get in the box, I've got Oliver Norwood, who I think is, is one of the best midfielders in the Championship. One of those annoying players that's quite probably not quite mobile enough to play in the Premier League, but certainly in terms of technical equality, in terms of the ability to dictate a tempo of a football match, I think he's Premier League class. And probably mobility is something that is what holds him back when he was in the Premier League, although he was very good when Sheffield United finished seventh. But I think teams started to wise up to him after that and, and stuck a man and marked him, which I think teams do in the Championship, but the quality of player is not quite as high, obviously. So he's so integral to how the Sheffield United team play, how he dictates the tempo of football matches, his range of passing... His, his, his quality on the ball. He's just a fantastic footballer. He's someone I really 
like and, and like watching these type of players. And he has been better this season in terms of mobility and, and not being as exposed in transitional moments. I think when you look at his numbers in terms of his tackles, his interceptions per game, they're all on the up compared to last season. And when you've got John Fleck and Xander Burge generally next to you, you know that Fleck will obviously help in in terms of um, getting his foot in, but Xander Burge wants to play further forward. Fleck also is playing more advanced of Norwood. And, and if you give the ball away, obviously there is a chance for the team to counter-attack. So he's got to have some ability to win the ball back. And I think those metrics have definitely gone up this season. The numbers reflect that. And also, he's still the quality footballer he always was. And I think if you ask any Sheffield United fan who their most important midfielder is, although Sander Burge probably brings the X factor, I think Norwood's just as important to, to how this team plays, how they tick. His quality in possession allows the likes of... Um, whoever's playing right and left centre-back, Ahmed Hodzic or Chris Basham or Reese Norrington-Davis, Jack Robinson, it allows them to get more advanced and they essentially play with a back two in possession, which is usually John Egan in the centre of that back three and, and Norwood sat just in front with everyone else bombing on. And if he wasn't as good in possession or wasn't as careful keeping the ball and, and they didn't trust him as much, they wouldn't be able to push that many men forward. So I think he's been absolutely crucial for Sheffield United. No doubt if they get promoted or finish in the playoffs, he'll be an integral part of that. And for me, he was a, a definite pick for me in central midfield alongside Josh Brownhill. Um, two wide players, George. Yeah, this, I must admit, I did find the right side difficult to, to decide on. The left side, I was stuck between two or three candidates, but I managed to pick one in the end. So starting with the right, I've gone with Ogbene for Rotherham. Been really, really impressed by him. I think he, you know... Rotherham, for, for what their expectations are this season, which is, of course, survival. They've had a, a relatively solid start. Obviously, had to deal with the upheaval of, of Paul Warden leaving after so many years at the club. But Ogbené has been the one that has been the, the, you know, he's been the main man in this team, hasn't he? He's been the one that's carried the, the best threat. He's carried so much energy, so much pace, so much ability with the ball. And, you know, he's just... For me, I think he's one of those players that, you know, wouldn't look out of place in probably any team in this league. I think he's got the ability to, you know, and I don't mean any disrespect to Rotherham here. I think he's got the ability to play with a, you know, a better crop of players, say at the higher end of the championship, maybe someone like, a, I don't know, like a, a Watford maybe or a Burnley, something like that, you know, going up through the through the league and... Oh, Benny, I mean, he's been really, really good. Five goals and an assist in 16 games. It's it's a solid return for a player that, you know, he's, he's not playing in one of the top, top teams. So, Ogbené, uh, as well as that, obviously a Republic of Ireland international. His country think a lot of him. And, you know, I just think he's the, the man that, you know, could potentially be the difference between Rotherham staying in this league or not. They, you know, they're so much better when he's available and when he's fit and playing than when they're without him because he's obviously got that little bit of flair that pace, that bit of trickery about him. So for me, Ogbené takes the slot on the right-hand side. I've been really encouraged by him, really impressed. And, you know, I think for, for Matt Taylor, he'll be looking ahead to the January transfer window and thinking, we're going to have to be primed for offers here because the, the, one or two are bound to come in. I'm not sure. I think his contract's up in the summer. I might be wrong on that. But, you know, I think, you know, you look at him, why, why wouldn't clubs be interested in him? Certainly, how at the championship table have been very impressed by him so far this season. Yeah, he's a very good player, isn't he? I, I completely he agree. When, whenever Rotherham have got him in the team, they're a far better team. And if he got a long-term injury, I think Rotherham would be a lot more likely to get relegated than they are with him in the side. He has played up front all season, 
but he definitely is a right winger and played right wing back last season. So I'm happy to give you him on the right wing. Definitely. I, I was really impressed when Blackburn, uh, when Rotherham played at Ewood Park against Blackburn. I thought he was the best player on the pitch in the first half. And I definitely think that, I think the likelihood is he'll stay at Rotherham for the season, try and keep them up. And then I think he'll move on in the summer. And there should be a whole host of championship clubs that want to take him on because I think he's got the raw attributes and, you know, increasingly good in, end product that show he, he, he can be a real force at championship level. He's versatile as well. He's played right wing back. He's played up front. Probably his best position would be right of a front three. Um, and I think that the goal numbers are, are increasing year on year. So I completely agree with you that I would have him certainly in the conversation to play on the right wing. Yeah, left midfield for me. Oh, do you want me to, you want me to do that? Yeah, so left midfield for me, it was a toss-up between about two or three, but in the end, I managed to to nail it down to Nathan Teller at Burnley. Been really, really encouraged by him and what I've seen. You know, he's he's come in, obviously, as a young player on loan from Southampton and started the season at such a rapid speed. Obviously, his form has tailed off a little bit in the last few weeks, but overall, he's been outstanding for me. He's been absolutely superb. And obviously, Burnley have carried such a threat in the wide areas this season with Obviously, Manuel Benson, Zorori, Teller. But Nathan Teller, I mean, you look at him, he's got six goals and assists so far and he's quick and he's direct. And, you know, I would argue he's probably been one of the lone signings of the season so far in the Championship. I think he's had such an impact that I think he's probably taken even Vincent Company by surprise with how just how well he's done. And he just he slots in seamlessly to the way that Burnley want to play. And I think, you know, you look at Nathan Teller and you see a player in there thinking, this kid, you know, he's, he's got potential, there's quality in there. I think the big challenge for him now is to see just how consistent he can be across a full season. Could he make it to Premier League level? I don't know yet. I don't think I've seen enough of him on a regular basis to make a judgment. But I think, you know, if he continues to play week in, week out, I think he potentially could go back to Southampton next season should they might, still be in the Premier League. Might be in different leagues. That's what I mean. Should they still be in it? And I think Nathan Jones could look at that and think, yeah, we, we've got a player on our hands here that, you know, could give us something different. So, Certainly, Nathan Teller, for me, has been one of the signs of the summer, certainly on a, on a loan basis. But I think another player you've got to mention in, in this role is certainly Jack Clark at Sunderland. He's been really, really encouraging, really impressive. And, you know, to be fair to the lad, he has got more goal contributions than Nathan Teller by three. I think he's got four goals and six assists, which proves just how good he's been. But I think Teller, obviously, you know, a loanee, dropping down into the Championship, playing in a brand new team. I just think, you know, that's just aged the decision for me. But for Jack Clark, you know, as, as my substitute, if you like, for left midfield, I think this season he's proven just how good he could be at this level if, you know, given a consistent run. Obviously, he went to Tottenham, didn't work out, went Sunderland alone, they bought him permanently. And you can see that he's certainly benefiting from now having a permanent home again. So really encouraging to see him progressing as he is. But for me, Nathan Teller just gets that nod. Yeah, I definitely would like to chuck Jack Clark in the conversation as my third choice to play out wide. I didn't pick him either, but he was the one that I really wanted to get in the team, but I just couldn't leave out the players that I've picked for. On the right-hand side, I've gone for Josh Sargent, who I know has played on the right and up front. He's got nine goals this season, and I think in terms of what we expected from him pre-season, he it was not not a laughing stop, but it, it was it was being ridiculed by some Norwich City fans. You know, he didn't have a great season. He scored a hat trick at Watford away, remember in the Premier League, and that was about all he did last year. And it was really difficult for him. wasn't alone in that. It was a bad season overall for Norwich, but this season, 
he's he's almost created a, a problem we never expected, which is he's obviously better up front. And you've got Timu Puki, and the big headache for Nath, uh, for Dean Smith this season has been how does he get them both up front? And they played a diamond shape most recently, so they've completely changed what they're doing to get them both together up front. And nine goals, a lot of them winning goals as well, and, and crucial goals. It's not like a fourth in a three in a four nil win. He's been very good, and nine goals. I think I don't think anyone would have expected him and probably Jerry Yates to be at the top of the goal scoring charts when we broke for the World Cup and. I think he gives Norwich something else. I think Pookie's a very clever, subtle player. He's very good at linking play. He's good at running beyond as well. But generally, he's better probably when he's coming towards the ball. I think Sargent can run in behind. I think he offers them a little bit more direct pace. And his finishing has been much better than I think a lot of people expected it to be. And I think you've seen in a different position how you can unlock a player. You know, he's looked like a completely different footballer with confidence, playing in what he will feel is his natural position. And he's scoring goals. Well, I mean, you, you look at Josh Sargent and Timu Puki's numbers together, and they make really impressive viewing. But I think they've, you know, they've kind of gone under the radar a little bit because Norwich have kind of been so inconsistent and been not not quite a rut prior to this pause, but their, their form has certainly took a massive nosedive. And you know, you look at Josh Sargent's numbers and Puki's combined them: twenty-one goal contributions between them this season already. Sargent's got nine goals, two assists. Nobody's got more contributions in the league than him. Um, only Jerry Yates and Illumin and Jai can match him. And then Pookie's got 10 contributions himself with six goals and four assists. So Dean Smith has got that firepower there. And, you know, Josh Sargent, I think if you'd have said to any Norwich fan at the start of the season, he's going to get 10 goals this season, I think they probably would have probably laughed at you. And he's managed nine already. And, you know, he's another player that's obviously at the World Cup now with the USA squad. He's gone. And, you know, he'll be looking to to lay down a marker there and try and impress the best he can, try and get into the team. So, you know, I think for Norwich, the fact that you've got two players that have already racked up 20 goal contributions between them already, it should give them confidence that they are going to at least try and progress once the season resumes. I think it's just another example for me that player development is not linear and players can have peaks and troughs at different moments and sometimes a tweak in formation, sometimes a goal that gives them confidence can really change the outlook of a, of a player's career at a certain club. And I think he's probably the best example of that this season, Josh Sargent. So he's been really good and definitely deserves a spot in the team on the right-hand side for me. And on the left, it'll come no surprise that I had to get Ben Brereton Diaz in the team because he is Blackburn Rovers' star man. And without him, they would not be sat third in the championship table. He scored what I think you put a stat out, what, nine of his 10 goals this season have been winning goals um, or have been... been a bit, little bit less than that, but it was certainly impressive. Exactly. So he's been so important. And it's not just his goals as well. The amount, what people don't see when you don't watch him every single week is the the relentless running. And that's off the ball, often doubling up as a, as a to help Harry Pickering down the left-hand side, or particularly in the game against Sunderland, which was on Sky, which they won 2-0. The amount of times he picked up the ball and just ran at Sunderland and just dragged the team up the pitch. He's so direct. He is, for me, the one Premier League player in Blackburn Rovers' team, or certainly the the most likely. I think there's a few that could probably, if he got promoted, but he's the only one I think a Premier League club would look and try and buy. And I think he's been fantastic. And I don't think you can underestimate how important he is to this team. And it seems... So obvious to say it when, of course, he's important. He's scoring all their goals. But it's not just that. It's the fear factor. It's the quality 
in decision-making in the final third. Blackburn aren't blessed with goal scorers, so the burden is on his shoulders. We didn't know if it'd be a bit of a one-season wonder because he'd not been great at Blackburn, let's be fair. I think he'd scored something like seven goals in his first 75 appearances, and since then he's got 34, and obviously had a brilliant first half of last season. Tailed off second half due to injuries, bit of fatigue creeping in as well. The whole team had a slump, but he's come back, fit and firing. He's only 23, and the amount of transfer speculation that's been going around his head. He's a Chilean international. I think we've seen one high-profile footballer this week show how you can get it very wrong in terms of public perception and, and what to do when you want to move. Well, Ben Brereton diaz mm. has been faultless in terms of his attitude. I think another thing to add on Brereton diaz is we know for a fact, you know, if, if Chile had qualified for this World Cup, he, he would be there right now. There's no and doubt about that. he'd be starting and playing he would and be. starring. He would be. There's no doubt about that. He would be at this World Cup and playing, you know. He's been excellent. He really has. And, you know, it's going to be such a challenge for Blackburn to keep hold of him if they don't get promoted this season. But like you say, credit to him. He's not, you know, he's not thrown his toys out the pram. He's not refused to play. He's done absolutely nothing of that nature at all. So, you know, he's been a real credit to Blackburn. It would have been so easy for him in his position getting all the interest. If you think back to last January, there was even rumours of Barcelona sniffing around, for goodness sake. You know, what what player at that point playing, you know, no disrespect in the championship for Blackburn Rovers has seen Barcelona interested, right, what can I do to fashion this and get myself out of here now? He did nothing like that. So, you know, he's handled himself really, really well. And I take my hat off to him because he's been excellent. He's continued as professional as you can imagine. He's been, you know, brilliant in front of goal. And, you know, who knows what Blackburn could do with him this season because obviously they've got a League Cup fourth round tie to come. You know, win that against Nottingham Forest. Quarterfinals. Might start to dream Wembley. Might start to I'm going think to about a trophy. You never know. Yeah. Might start to think about it, you know. So, you know, while he's, you know, still at Blackburn, you know, he, he has got the realistic chance of achieving something this season. So, fair play to him, you know. Been excellent. Joy to watch. One of the best players in the Championship, without a doubt. Well, we talk about Chris Willett, don't we, as being... You know which team has one player that the most, yeah, uh, that is most important to them. We say Chris Willock at Queens Park. I think Ben Bertendales is right up there. Yeah, I would agree Blackburn with that. Rovers. He is the elite goal scorer. He is the elite ball carrier. He's the one in the final third that wins them football matches, and I think the numbers back that up because his goals have been decisive. Pretty sure every goal, nine of the goals have come in wins, haven't they? And then the one that wasn't was obviously the equaliser at West Ham, which essentially earned them a win because it got them to penalties, which they then yeah. won. So. I'm pretty sure his nine of the ten goals he scored this season have been in wins. So it he scores decisive goals. He scored quality goals as well. I mean, the goal against Sunderland on his left foot. He scored a very similar one against West Brom earlier in the season. And for me, he's the elite footballer at Blackburn Rovers and has to be in this team. Two strikers, George. Who have you gone for? Well, you know, it seems to be the, the trend this season, which everybody gets stuck on nine goals and then doesn't progress much further at the minute. But one man who is creeping up the tally very quickly, couldn't leave him out. It's everybody's favourite Swede, isn't it? It's Victor Jokeres. Had to include him in this team. He's been outstanding for Coventry again. And, you know, he's. you talk about Brereton Diaz there, Willock, importance to, to Blackburn and QPR. It's the same with Jokeres at Coventry, isn't it? He's so, so key for them. I mean, you know, he got 18 goals last season in all competitions, 17 in the league. He's got nine in the league already this season. He's so, so important for them. And, the, uh, you know, if a club was to come in with an offer for him in January, Coventry, in, within their own right, would be right to demand big money for him because he's that valuable to them. 
people obviously talk about transfer fees these days being astronomical and so big. But for Coventry, they would be within their right to put a big fee that most people probably laugh at because he is that important to the way that they play and, you know, he's their main man. And, you know, I think the thing I like about Yoka is, is he's got the ability to score such a wide range of goals. That's what I like. He He can. He can do a little bit of everything. I mean, certainly recently, prior to the World Cup break, we saw obviously his his goal at Watford, which was really well finished off when he got on the end of that low cross. The one against Wigan late on when he practically ran, when he brought the ball down with an outstanding touch, then literally ran the full length of you know from the halfway line. Like a year seven playing against year sixes, didn't it? It just yeah, looked it unfair did. that someone could be that quick, that powerful, that strong and it that did. good at finishing as well. And then obviously you think back to the game just prior to the break when they played QPR, he got a couple that day so easily, could have had a hat-trick, probably the easiest chance that he spurned of the three. But, you know, I just love watching him. I really love watching him. And you know, nine times out of ten, you know, not no disrespect to the other players in the Coventry team, but if Coventry City are going to win a game of football, it's going to be because of his goals. And then, you know, he is their main man. Obviously, he's got players supplying him, likes of Callum O'Hare, Hamer, for instance, in the middle. But, you know, without him, Coventry would, you know, they they would drop off. And they wouldn't. I don't think any Coventry fan would, would argue with that. He, obviously, you can talk about clean sheets. They've got that to fall back on at the minute. But up front, his goals and his all-round play are just so crucial. So, for me, I think it's a, you know, it's a growing trend of this this conversation we're having. But he's another player that I feel that, you know, had Sweden qualified for the World Cup, I think it'd be another one that would would be starting games for Sweden. You know, I think Sweden had a friendly last week against Mexico, I want to say, or somebody. Uh, and he definitely played in that one. So, you know damn well, if they'd have qualified for Qatar, it, he'd have been playing for them. Because obviously, Isak's out injured. So, you know, he could have easily been leading the line for Sweden at this World Cup. So, he'll be disappointed with that. But, you know, I'm really interested to see how his career takes off over the next few years. But for Coventry, paramount of importance they keep him in January. Jokerez has scored one of the one of my one of the most underrated goals I think of the championship season, and that was the one on the opening day, which I really liked. The one against Sunderland, Sunderland where yeah. he dips inside and absolutely spanks it past Anthony yeah. Patterson into the back back of the net to win Coventry a draw. That's a really long time ago. I think it just sums up his qualities that he's got pace, power. I just think his skills. When you look at championship attackers and the ones that are at the top end. I think he's got the skills that are most translatable potentially to play Premier League football because of how quick he is and how powerful and how good he is in transition as well. I just think I mean, if you want him, as, I think if you want him as a back to goal number nine, he can hold the ball up. He can do that. If you want to play him off the left hand side to run at teams and, and use his pace and power, cut inside and score goals, I think he can do that. I think he's got an, an all round game which you can. I think he's system proof basically, which is not what a lot of players are. They, they you know they thrive in particular roles in particular systems with certain players around them. I think he is system proof and I think he's a, he's a quality footballer. And if there was one championship player in attacking areas I could buy as a Premier League club that I think is most of a sure bet, I think Jokerez is right up there. Well, as a question then now, if you were asked who is the best striker in the championship, would you choose Jokerez? Depends. If I'm buying... Am I am I buying for right now or am I buying for with potential? Just, just general on, on general form currently, how this season's I, I, gone. I think you say? you've got look at him and Ben Brereton Diaz personally. Yeah, I would argue, I would agree with that. You know, Jokerez, they're very different kinds of players, aren't they? Obviously, Brereton Diaz. I, has I got think Jokerez is more of an absolute definite hit. I think he, he's. I think Ben Brereton Diaz probably got a higher ceiling, but a lower floor. 
So I think he yeah. could be really, really good or not quite as good. I think Jokeres will do would do well in the Premier League. Do the job. Maybe not not absolutely at the, the peak if Ben Burton has got it absolutely brilliantly, but I'd think he's less likely to fail and be an absolute flop. You know, for example, then Jokeres, say, you know, a Premier League club came in for him in January, and obviously I hope for Coventry's sake they don't. I think he could do a job in a team, you know, you look at teams now, I'd probably say he could do something for somebody like Southampton. Brighton. Brighton. With his movement? Um, yeah. I don't know. There's probably several others as well that could do with him right now with the way that relegation battle in the Premier League is shaping up. West so, you know, scoring lots of goals at the minute. You know, could even do a job for Leicester, maybe. They've got the players around him that could, you know, bring the best out of him. So, anyway, we're talking about that and we hope he stays in the Championship because we love talking about him. He's, he's class. I absolutely love him. And for me, you know, I would argue he's been the best striker in the division this season. Taking all his in round, I haven't play, got him in my team. Know, by the way, after we've well, done this, get out, just get out. You're a disgrace. I just whacked lyrical about him. I haven't got him in my team. You, you have done a disservice to the greatest Swede of all time. He's better than Zlatan. Who is your other striker? Anyway, other striker. Um, it was a toss up between two from the same club, and I've had to go for Ellen Jai for Sheffield United. I mean. You know, I could have easily gone for Ollie McBurney for the way he's really, you know, turned his fortunes around in the last, what, two or three months. But Njai, obviously, his age, being so young, you know, 22 years of age, nine goals, couple of assists as well. He's just terrific, isn't he? He is another player that I think Brereton Diaz that could easily make it to the very top. And he obviously is another one that has gone to the World Cup with, uh, with Senegal. So well done to him. Brilliant achievement at such a young age. But, you know, for Paul Heckingbottom, he's just so, so key to the way they play. and He's got such a good goal record under him as well. So, it was quite easy to put him in, really, because I think Njai, obviously, he's got the pace, he's got the power, he's got the coolness to finish under pressure. And I think as well as that, you know, he's got the good instincts to be in the right place at the right time. I think back to his goal against Burnley, when obviously went Burnley headed the, headed the corner back into the six-yard box and Njai was literally there, just swivelled and, and tapped the ball in. So, He's got a really good understanding of reading the game for such a young player. And I think he's got the ability, to, you know, if he ever needed to, to play wide or in a number 10, like a bit deeper role because he's got that ability to create and link up. So Njai was probably one of the first names I put in this team. He's been terrific. And for Sheffield United, I think similar to Coventry, they, they could really brace for offers from the Premier League in January because I think this kid is destined for the top. And, you know, if, if, he, has a, if he has a good time at the World Cup, Senegal, obviously, are being tipped as one of the, you know, sort of the favourites of the um, the outsiders to have a bit of a good run at this tournament. If he impressively gets chances to play, it could, do, you know, put a few more pounds on his price tag. So, looking really good. Impressed by him and Sheffield United, I think, to be fair. I think they've got a gem of a player in him. I've also got Elimin and Jai up front. I'm a massive fan. I think that he's got some very rare attributes for a footballer that, can play in lots of different positions, lots of different skill sets. As you say, very much someone that can play. Obviously, he's played as a front two, but I think he's best when he's not the the focal point, the number nine. I think we saw that last season when he had to play that role. It didn't get the best out of him. He's better when he can come deeper. He can move around the pitch. He can you know, move out to the left-hand side into some space and run at defenders. The same on the right. And for someone so stocky and with such a good frame... He's, he's lightning and he's so quick-footed. I think the goal he scored against Blackburn summed that up where he picks the ball up just inside his own half, skins Daniel Ayala, skins, I think it was Harry Pickering, and fires it left foot into the back of the net. He, he's, he just runs with such power, such quality. And the reason I asked you about when you asked about the Gyokuras question 
Ilumin and Jai would be my first pick if I was buying a club. But I think Jokeres is probably a more all-round player right now. But given the age difference, uh, I think Ndai is, is definitely a player that will play in the Premier League if he carries on on the straight and narrow like he is at the moment. And he's had such a meteoric rise, really. Let's not forget where Sheffield United plucked him from. He's not someone that's been in the elite academies and had his technical ability honed. So you think with some really top-level coaching in the Premier League, what could he become? I think that he's got probably he's the one player in the Championship with the highest ceiling out of anyone. I think that he could go and play for a top six team. He's got to apply himself right and a lot's got to fall in his favour to do that. But he's the one player in the Championship that I think could go and play for a top six team potentially in the future if his meteoric rise continues. Look at someone like James Madison, who's absolutely a top six player in terms of his quality in the Premier League. Players can do it if they hone the skills right and if they get a bit of luck as well, you know, with injuries and going to the right club, making the right moves. And for him, he's been so integral for Sheffield United. I think he gives them that X factor, especially with Zanderberg out at the minute. And I'm a huge fan and I think he's quality. But it would be remiss of me not to acknowledge the reason why he has so much freedom and the reason why he's such a good footballer and he's got so much creative license in this team is because of the job that Ollie McBurney does up front. So for me, he had to be in the team as well because I think they are as a pair the best in the championship and you need one with it. You can't have one without the other for me, really, in terms of what makes them so good. McBurney has had probably the best renaissance, the best comeback story this season of anyone in the division. He was maligned, ridiculed, but he was. Oh, there was a reason Sheffield United paid £20 million for him. There was a reason he scored so many goals in the championship and he's a bit of a monster in terms of what he can be when he's scoring goals and he's got confidence because physically he's brilliant in the air. He holds central defenders, he occupies defences and that helps bring in Njai, Sander Berge, uh, Reda Kadra, whoever's playing in those sort of positions. And he's a bit of a shot monster as well. When you look at how many shots he's had this season, he's right at the top in terms of just volume of shots. And also the average position is quite near to goal. So his XG as an individual is really high amongst both championship strikers because, yes, he's having a lot of shots, but he's not having a lot of shots from 30 yards, for example. A lot of them are in the box. I think the average is is about 14 yards out, is his average shot in the championship, which is quite high in terms... Well, it's quite low. It's quite close to the goal compared to where other players might be shooting from with that volume of efforts. And he's been fantastic. He's scored nine goals. He's scored important goals as well, winning goals. And I like McBurney. I always liked him. I always thought there was a player in there. And you always felt with Sheffield United, you looked at the squad and you're like, "Mm, do they need a striker? But the answer was really no. And I think we knew it was no, but it was can McBurney find his best form again? Can Rian Brewster unlock it? And I think the fact that Sheffield United was so reliant on Billy Sharp last season, and he's barely had a kick this season and no one's mentioned it because they've not needed to because they've got McBurney, who is the perfect number nine for this team. Heckingbottom's put his arm around him. He's got him scoring goals and he looks confident. He looks aggressive. And that's when McBurney's at his best, when he's snarling, when he's aggressive, when he's you know elbowing into, into the ribs of defenders um, and he's causing, causing problems and being a nuisance. And he is that focal point for Sheffield United, which helps them build, bring them more skillful players into the game and I, I think he's had a fantastic season so for me I, I yes Diokarez I would like to get in there but for me it's got to be in Giant McBurney at the top end of the pitch and, and that is my championship team so George just run us through your starting 11 well obviously I've Ben Wilson in goal and it's a back four from right to left of Ethan Laird Anel Amahodzic Jordan Story 
and Hassan Kamara midfield for Chiozio Bene, Josh Brownhill, Ilias Chair and Nathan Teller. Then up front, Victor Jokerez and Illiman Njai. I've got Thomas Kaminsky in goal, back four of Ethan Laird, Anel Ahmed Hodzic, Liam Lindsay and Ryan Manning. Midfield four of Sargent on the right, Ben Brereton Diaz on the left and then Josh Brownhill and Oliver Norwood in central midfield. And then Illiman Njai just took behind Ollie McBurney leading the line. And that rounds off this week's episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. Thank you for listening. Let us know your teams. Let us know if you agree or disagree with any of our selections. Who have we missed out? Tweet us at ChampChatPod24 and let us know. And make sure you're subscribed to this podcast feed so you'll get a fresh episode every single week throughout the World Cup break and beyond. Huge thank you as always to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. Make sure you go and check them out at cardsaccepted.co.uk. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. Enjoy the World Cup. And we'll catch you again next week for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.